Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about an incredible company called Air Doctor Pro. You can go to airdoctorpro.com, use the promo code FASTINGFORLIFE to receive up to $300 off one of their amazing air filters. Um, by supporting them, you're supporting us and the show. I want to tell you an incredible testimony. We now know that the indoor air is two to five, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted um, than the outdoor air, according to the EPA. And my son has been struggling with sleep. He hasn't slept. He's over two years old. He hadn't slept through the night his entire life. My wife and I had done everything. We could not figure it out. We put an Air Doctor Pro in his room, and I am not kidding. The first night he slept through the night, up he went over 30 nights in a row for the first time ever, sleeping through the night. We don't know what it did or what was in the air because we've had our house tested but whatever it's doing is allowing him to rest and sleep peacefully for the first time. And for that, it is absolutely priceless. Air Doctor Pro comes with 30-day breathe easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Mine is shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use the promo code Fasting for Life to receive up to $300 off any of their air purifiers exclusive to podcast customers. You'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in the special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. Use the promo code Fasting for Life. Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone, wanted to hop on real quick before today's episode and let you all know that for the first time, we are doing a Fasting Fundamentals live event masterclass. So next Monday, May 8th, 11 a.m. Central, we're going to have a private Zoom link dedicated to this event. We're also going to be streaming it into our private VIP Facebook group. And this Fasting Fundamentals class is going to be talking about the fundamentals of a fasting lifestyle that deliver consistent fat loss and consistent results week in and week out. So if you've ever been attempting to fast or lose weight or trying to get rid of that dieting roller coaster type mindset, we want to go over the three main things that affect the scale and create inconsistency in your weight loss and fat loss journey. So we're going to unpack that with you live in the Fasting Fundamentals live event masterclass on May 8th at 11 a.m. Central. So what you need to do is head to masterclass.thefastingforlife.com forward slash registration or simply head to the show notes, click the link. It'll send you to our registration page. You can get signed up. There's also more information about the event there. And we just really want to encourage you that this Fasting Fundamentals class is going to be a strategic way for you to accelerate your results and get those long-term fat loss sustainability results that you've been looking for. So with that being said, on to today's episode, and we'll see you on the inside. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Water, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Excited for today's conversation want to welcome everyone into the Fasting for Life podcast. If you are a long-term listener, 
love and respect for you following us on this journey and becoming part of the Fasting for Life fam. Please continue to listen, reach out. We love those five-star reviews as well. We've gotten a few cool ones recently. We give the shout-outs occasionally. Those are our favorite kind, of course, because they tell the podcast world that we're bringing value every single week, and that is exactly Mm. what we want to do. For all you new listeners, appreciate you giving us a shot and listening in. If you want to hear more about Tommy and myself and our story and how fasting has transformed our lives, just like we say in the intro, please head back to episode one. Give it a listen. You'll learn more about a little bit more about who we are and why we do what we do each and every week. And now inside of our coaching programs and challenges and all of the resources that we have on our website as well. So today's conversation, Tommy daily eating patterns and their impact on health and disease. So we want to give you some big picture, begin with the end in mind, 30,000 foot view type takeaways today. And if you have been with us, then you know those are things that we say often Mm. because we are wanting to begin with the end in mind, right? We want to put the work in to adopt a fasting lifestyle, to lose the weight, to regain our health, to prevent disease, to live a better quality of life and get off the dieting roller coaster for good. So, preach it. This study, I'm fired up today, man. This study, <laughs> the daily eating patterns and their impact on health and disease, is a study that's done in mice, but then they also reference a bunch of human studies and time restricted feeding studies or TRF studies that we have gone over as well. Just like January mm. 17th's episode where we compared different time restricted feeding windows, one of the most downloaded episodes we've had so far this year. That time-restricted feeding has incredible, powerful effects on our overall health. So this journal is in the Trends of Endocrinology and Metabolism from February of 2016. Slow down there so I wouldn't muck it up. And it starts off with the conversation around the statistical, I'll call it an anomaly now, that we're sitting at here in the United States, Tommy, when it comes to the fact that 40 plus percent of us U.S. citizens are overweight, and Mm -hmm. more than one-third of U.S. citizens are now clinically obese. Wow. And the burden, that that just doesn't put on the individual, but that also puts on the healthcare system as a whole. So when we're talking about health today, we're going to be talking about this overweight, specifically in this study, and make some extrapolations to the obese population. This is where I lived a lot of my life, even though I was looking like a strong man, right? Lifting, powerlifting, tons of weights, tons of cardio, lots of macros. Yeah. And worsening metabolic syndrome and dysmetabolism or broken metabolism that I had over the years that was leading to me starting to develop issues that led to long-term problems like cardiovascular issues, strokes, heart attacks, type 2 diabetes, et cetera. So in 2019, sorry, no, you're fine. In 2019, the medical cost of obesity is $173 billion. Wow. $1,861 more per person per year by having a BMI definition of obesity. So when we're looking at the ramifications of health, which is where this article begins, which is, all right, well, we've got this dysmetabolism, and they are going to be looking at some of the circadian and feeding patterns that have now been shown not to be just a overconsumption issue, right? Yeah. Where obesity is, ah, you're just, you're just eating too much and you're not working out enough. 
right? right. There's other yeah. genetic factors, lifestyle factors, and now these super these circadian rhythm, sleep wake cycles, and these feeding pattern systems that are all connected that lend themselves to the genetic side, the epigenetic side, as well as the behavioral patterns that come into play when we're looking at an issue like obesity. Wow. Mentioning the BMI, it just brought me back. So I, I went and recalculated it. I had to lose 50 pounds when I first started fasting. I had to lose 50 pounds to get from the obese category into the overweight category. And just just like you, but not to the same degree. Like you have more muscle mass on your frame than I do. But for the for the same reason, right. I always <laughs> I always knew I always knew that that BMI was like it didn't take into account everything, right? Right. Like, like, right. like I remember being a teenager, getting into you know muscle building and and working out and 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 things like that. And so deadlifting like, four hundred pounds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four hundred five was was my max at that point. I I stopped. I took off my deadlifting shoes to go for maximums. But, and that is why I have um, more muscle mass. I'm right. Just yeah. Absolutely. On. Right. Yeah. Well, what was your max? Right. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. I'm going to play okay. that game. Everybody's going to tune out. Who are these two yeah, guys? Yeah. Right. By the way. So I uh, can't even sniff anything even remotely close to a deadlift these days. So don't don't think we're over here. Like no no no. This is previous life experiences. Carry yeah. on. Yeah, but you know a lot of that heavy lifting was in an effort to burn the calories, burn through the fat, to like, get healthy. Like, that that was the the overall like the overarching theme, like my motivation to go to the gym early was to get healthy, to take the the excess fat off. Like I knew it was, it was a problem, you know? Right. So, so it took 50 pounds of weight loss or fat loss to get me out of that obese category when I found fasting. So the reason why I said this is because you, you mentioned beginning with the end in mind. And yes. so when, when we're, when we're taking a look at something like this, which is circadian rhythm, daily eating patterns, what what do my daily eating patterns, what is the impact on health and what is the impact on disease? Well, guess what? What I what I read here and what we're gonna pull away from from studies like this today is the fact that fasting is not just an effective fat loss tool, an effective insulin reducing mechanism. It is the way to optimize and decrease and slow down disease processes, progressions, and a way to to optimize health for the long term, regardless of weight loss or fat loss. And so what I take away from that is that if I go into my fasting just thinking, this is my next diet, even if I if I say this might be the most effective diet that I'm going to use, that's going to build in an on-off switch for me. That I'm going to be looking at my end weight loss goal as like a okay, whew, got there, did it. Now I can turn off the fasting. Now I can turn off the fasting diet, right? And then kind of just go go back to just like some unstructured stuff. But if I think about it in a in a little bit different way and go, hey, you know what? Fasting can be a tool that I use. And when I hit my fat loss goal, I don't have to use this as a restrictive or an omitive mechanism, but I can use it to optimize and control my long-term health, like that's a powerful thing. But I want to plant that seed early because if I had come to fasting with that in mind, I would have accelerated a lot of things and decreased a lot of frustration and been able to enjoy the process even more while I was burning through the fat that I needed to get off to. So when you just said there that it's regardless of the weight loss, right? So the, mm-hmm. these fasting can be a powerful tool for overall health, regardless of the weight loss. There's a correlation, of course, between getting the weight off and seeing those markers change, right? You've got less strain on your cardiovascular system, 
less strain on your joints, less inflammation, mm -hmm. less chance of, you know, insert all of the metabolic syndrome, you know, lab works, metrics. Yeah. Blood pressure, um, kidneys, blood pressure, liver, yeah, yeah, liver, enzymes, all of that stuff. The begin with the end in mind idea that you just let off there comes strictly from this article saying that and it's not an idea that we came up with. It's it's when we look at the research from that groundbreaking study in 2021, where it was looking at the sustainability of weight loss, beginning yeah. with the end in mind. The percentages are very 10% after two years, lose the weight and keep it off of people, right? Mm. And they call WLMs, weight loss managers, right? Like they've actually managed to keep the weight off. Wow. Yeah. And then at three years, it's 5%. So this study, the daily eating patterns and their impact on health and disease mentions that 10% number, mm. right? But it comes here to say what you were just saying about fasting, time-restricted feeding or TRF during which time of access to food is restricted to a few hours without caloric restriction. Mm, yeah. So this is the, oh, wait a minute. This is maintenance. This is me living my life at my ideal weight, stepping into my confidence, my new identity, healthy, mm -hmm. vibrant, and not having to be on that constant on-off fasting or dieting roller coaster switch mechanism that you yeah. just so eloquently explained. Wow. Yeah. Supports that all of that supports robust metabolic cycles and protects against nutritional challenges that predispose to obesity and dysmetabolism. Yes. You remember in that study, at the top right, one of the major, major impact factors of being able to keep the weight off or not was fear of regain. Because fear of regain is a powerful, very seldom talked about factor in the long-term success because that fear of regain is real. We, we talked about it in lots of conversations around fasting. But yes. when it comes up, it can be like a subconscious chink in the armor where right. it, like, it messes with you. It hey, fasting fam, want to let you know about an incredible company that we've partnered with, aquatrue.com, promo code fasting for life to receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. These are not your old school um, pitcher filters or your refrigerator filters. We're talking about a proprietary four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. Their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing, which if you've priced those whole home water filtration systems, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These incredible countertop versions, they do have one under sink mounting model as well, but they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, like I mentioned, and they're specifically designed to combat this new group of chemicals that the Environmental Working Group has done a deep dive on, these forever chemicals called PFAS or PFASs. These are in 45% of our U.S. tap water. 45%. These things can lead to endocrine system disruption, certain types of cancers, liver toxicity. And I'm so glad that there's now a countertop affordable version of this incredible technology. So as we fast, we know that water outside of a little black coffee and tea is the only thing that we drink. So if we're trying to get the biggest bang for our buck, we're trying to increase autophagy, inc allow our bodies to heal, shed the weight, get healthy, reverse disease, then why not give it the absolute best quality water that you can? So AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It even makes a great gift, like I mentioned, my aunt and uncle. Um, today, as one of our loyal listeners, if you support them, you're supporting us, you're going to get 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. 
Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code fasting for life. F-A-S-T-I-N-G-F-O-R-L-I-F-E. That's 20% off any of the Aquatrue water purifiers at aquatrue.com. Every little decision you make every day on yay or nay to a certain food or a certain behavior or yes or no to the donut or yes or no to the workout Mm, or I'll just skip one is all underlying being rooted in the, am I going to be able to reach my goal and stay there? Yeah. To some degree. Wow. So, you know, like the Kevin Bacon game, like six degrees of separation, (laughs) there's some degree of separation there. Right wow. in our daily decisions. Yeah. So the study you were referencing, and I just, I just want to make sure that we reference it with the, with the title. So this came out in 2021. It's the International Journal of Qualitative Studies on Health and Well-Being, and it's the perspectives into the experience of successful, substantial, long-term weight loss maintenance, mm-hmm. a systemic review. So like super powerful systemic review here. Oh, yeah. And we've done podcast episodes on it, and it's baked into all of the programs and the resources and a lot of the conversations we have. Because why are we going to teach something or and or preach something? Because we are living it, right? So insert soapbox moment here. It is the one thing that worked for me. After, If you're new, go back and listen. After decades of failure and ending up like turning into my dad, like who was a full-blown, who was, was, was a full-blown diabetic on multiple medications, 120 units a day, no more. So it is the one thing. So yes, is fasting for everybody? No. Do I believe everybody should fast? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> but is everybody ready to do that? No, because it is not the sustainable solution for them. Mm. Right? So yeah. it might not be, but fasting has that ability to be powerful in terms of never mind the health stuff that you mentioned, but this right here, the metabolic component, and it's connected between what this study was looking at. And we're not going to go into one because it's not really actionable, but two because it's honestly, a little bit above my pay grade, uh, not a little, in terms of some of the stuff that they're studying here. Oh yeah. But they're looking at circadian rhythms and they're looking at the central circadian pacemaker and they're looking at the sleep-wake cycle and then they're looking at the feeding cycle that goes along with this. So if we're looking at it, just overview, light comes into the eyes and then it's going to go to your, it's going to go into a cascade of things that happen that then end up turning on amino acids and hormones, right? Mm-hmm. That have to do with hunger, satiation, as well as hormonal changes from the pituitary gland that go out to the peripheral tissues. And interestingly enough, over here on the side is going to be the sleep wake balance as well. So you've got your circadian rhythm, your circadian mm-hmm. clock, and you've got your sleep wake cycle. And we've done a lot of talks and conversation around how important weight loss is for sleep. So we're talking about sleep is for weight loss. Exactly. Exactly. So we're talking about the super charismatic nucleus of the retinothalamic tract. And I'm like, okay, this brings me back to, you know, the the final exam when it came to neurology back in the day, where it was like, here's a blank sheet of paper, draw the, draw all of the ascending and descending tracks at this spinal level. And I'm like, huh? (laughs) What? No, like what? So, but we're talking about things that like you've probably heard of things like thyroid stimulating hormone, Mm. growth hormone, growth hormone, releasing hormone, maybe not so much that one, corticotrophin releasing hormone, things that act on your adrenals, things like cortisol, pineal gland, melatonin. Yeah. Yeah, Melatonin, right? Yeah. Things that are going to affect our circadian rhythm. But then when we start to get into why does it matter? Because in our culture, more and more, 
sleep is kind of like, eh, it's, it's the hashtag unsexy thing. You know, nobody wants to really like, you don't really love the idea or a lot of us don't of prioritizing it. Like a lot of us wear it as a badge of honor. We talked back in episode 156 about shift work and the importance right, the of understanding. Study. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, did the, that with these mice. It was crazy. I know. And, and so, but what we have to understand, like our sleep wake cycles and how much we prioritize or don't prioritize sleep will absolutely affect our insulin sensitivity and our insulin resistance, our, our blood sugar effects on what we eat and when we crave it. And this is, I mean, it's major, major impact if we're gaining or losing weight or able to, to maintain it. And oftentimes it's enough that it, it will answer that question of why don't I seem like I can just get the, I, I just can't seem to get the weight off, you know, and I don't really know right. why I'm tracking all the calories and all this kind of stuff. Oftentimes it's that because we're throwing a wrench in our hormonal system so badly with the way our circadian rhythms are, and we're not counteracting it with our, our insulin response. Cause we're going to have to make really, really good food choices. If we're going to tip the scales back into balance, if we're, if our circadian rhythm is off because of something like we're a first responder or, you know, like I, I work night shifts in the hospital or whatever it might be, right. I'm going to need to be on point or I'm chronically stressed. Yeah. Or I already have some blood sugar dysregulation. Yeah. Right. So yeah. why is that important? Like, why are we talking about this? Well, it's because in mammals, virtually every tissue or physiological function exhibits diurnal oscillations. Mm. So these light versus dark daytime yeah. versus nighttime type oscillations. Yep. And what they found was that the changes of these hormones in the plasma levels of the blood, things like cortisol, thyroid stimulating hormone, prolactin, growth hormone, et cetera, specifically sensitivity to insulin is based somewhat in the circadian diurnal pattern, not necessarily mediated by the hypothalamus, which is typically what we think because it's part of that hypothalamic axis. So mm -hmm. why this matters is because the coordination or the simplification of our time-restricted feeding to light versus night, right? So like literally shrink your window, right? And you can, if you're a beginner, you can even use like when it's light out, I eat. When it's dark, I don't. Because that's yeah. what it showed in the study with the mice. And there's yeah. some references almost to like human the, studies. The Ramadan, almost like a yeah. Ramadan approach. Type, right. Know. Oh, there's a lot of cool fasting Loosely. studies with Ramadan. Yeah. But as a result, sure. glucose homeostasis is highly dynamic, meaning baseline numbers of glucose and insulin in the response to the same meal and the insulin sensitivity to itself, which is the thing that takes the energy and either shuttles it to be burned or stores it as fat, all display these fluctuations. Mm. So when they look at the mice, and they did this in diet-induced obesity in, in these mice, and they looked at so many subcategories of like predispositions and genetic gene mm. SNPs, SNPs, right? So we're not going to go into all that detail because the big takeaway here is they looked at four different categories in the instance of when these mice had diet-induced obesity. They looked at the gut microbacteria. They looked at the luminal metabolites, so things like carbohydrates and bile acids and bile salts. They looked mm -hmm. at gut signaling, which is a lot of where the hunger hormone like ghrelin lives, right? And yeah. other peptides, cholecystokinin and peptide KK and all of those. Hold on, and hold then on, you're... Hold on. Shout out to the GI tract and the stomach in general for all these things that are happening in there. 
that we kind of just gloss over. Like you remember right. back to high school biology and it's kind of just like, oh no, I this just to. stores the food here, you know? A little bit of enzyme action. No, it's crazy. The gut is full of neurotransmitters. It's full of immune responses. It has direct connections to the spinal cord and to the brain. I mean, it is ridiculous how much stuff is going on there that is not really talked about. It is a complex coordination of things that that starts to make sense why when i'm eating what i'm eating at at what time and how much and how often has effects all throughout the body because it's like if there's something in the stomach or not it's it's being sensed all throughout the tissues in the body it's it's crazy so the big picture is they did this with the mice is they they're nocturnal so they fed them at night rather than during the day so it's inverse of course but there's some you know trf studies that we talk about and they reference as well here later in the discussion portion but They looked at those four categories, hepatic gene expression, gut signaling, luminal metabolites, and bacteria. And what they found was in the diet-induced obesity group, there was increased adiposity, right? Mm -hmm. There was increased glucose or or blood sugar elevation. There was increased leptin resistance, which means your satiation hormone, the one telling you, hey, stop eating. I don't eat anymore, isn't working. You got hepatic steatosis. You've got ectopic fat deposits. You've got inflammation. But on the time-restricted feeding... Mm-hmm. side of the study where they limited it just to the nocturnal period, right? Okay. And they did different groups, nine hours versus 15 hours, et cetera. And it's you know not rocket science that the nine hour group had better outcomes versus mm-hmm. the 15 hour feeding group, right? Because your decreased consumption, but had decreased adiposity, glucose elevation, leptin resistance, hepatic steatosis, ectopic fat deposits, inflammation, all of oh, those wow. things improved as a result. And the awesome thing here is that as a result, this is the takeaway, Time-restricted feeding protects against obesity and dysmetabolism. So dysmetabolism being patients with type 2 diabetes or impaired glucose tolerance who had hypertension, dyslipidemia, so abnormal cholesterol levels, obesity or abdominal obesity, and microalbuminuria, which is directly related to cardiovascular events. Wow. In that group, the most susceptible group, Time-restricted feeding protected against it. Incredible. It is incredible, Um, especially when when you hold everything else steady, like the number of calories that are coming in. It's like we, we start getting led to the fact that if we compartmentalize when we're eating, we don't have to just be micromanaging every calorie in order to get this right or get it a heck of a lot more right faster than we have been. Right. And then we start aligning it with our sleep wake cycles a little bit better rather than what I used to do, which was tracking every calorie, tracking all the macros, but then, but literally telling myself, no, it it can't matter. It can't be different if I have this meal in the morning versus late at night. The dissonance there. You just, you just, yeah, you just, you were reading my mind where I was going to go with this. Mm. Sorry about that. No, you're, no, this is perfect. I was just <laughs> scrambling to find the quote because I had it written down, scribbled somewhere and highlighted it. And now I can't find it. But the point is, is that when they looked at this, that the later in the evening, right? Mm-hmm. Working against your circadian rhythm and your sleep-wake cycle would cause a higher or less effective insulin response at night to the same meal that you would eat in the morning. So when we're talking here about this study, right? And it's like, oh, it's in, it's in mice. Well, does that really apply? Well, Tommy, you already mentioned the HERO study where they looked at shift workers mm-hmm. and how just by being a shift worker, you had up to a 
decrease energy expenditure. So that group of people react completely differently because they are inverted, right? Mm -hmm. Thankfully for them, the frontline workers, they're inverted in their sleep. So so that increases their chance of cardiometabolic events. Well, it absolutely does. And even just that 16% reduction, I mean, you're talking about if if you are on a 2000 calorie need per day, you're already at a over a 300 calorie per day difference right. over a matter of, you know, it's not even going to take, it'll be like less than two weeks. You would be at a pound of fat. If you all of a sudden became a, a shift worker or something flipped in your, in your schedule like that, and you ate the exact same way, even if it was healthy foods, then you could potentially store an additional pound of fat every couple of weeks. Like that, that adds up obviously big time, right? Like there, there's going to be some serious changes that are going to need to occur in order to flip, flip the balance, you know, tip the scales back to balance. And so just, just understanding that we can begin with the end in mind. We can understand that controlling the, the, the intake timing and aligning better with what our circadian rhythms are means that I don't necessarily have to start by fixing everything in order to do better and in order to achieve weight loss results, even if I haven't been able to get them or to maintain them in the past. I mean, we're, we're forging ahead here. I mean, this is, this is incredibly powerful information. Yeah. So let's apply it to, you know, us humans. Okay. We've done a bunch of studies on TRE or TRF mm-hmm. and fasting, of course, but there was one cohort study of patients undergoing a behavior weight loss treatment those who consumed their calories earlier in the day were more likely to lose weight compared to those who ate later. We've said this. We've been saying it more recently as of late, which this study alludes to, right? Obviously in mice, but we've also seen it. You said it earlier to me, or earlier today. He's like, I don't know of any one out there that would have more case study-based data than we do on one meal mm-hmm. a day fasting, Correct. right? Like yeah. that was one of the first resources that we created. We're like, intermittent doesn't work for a lot of people if there's insulin resistance and weight loss resistance and hormone imbalances. And you know, just doing a 16-8 window might not get you there. We saw a lot Correct. of that. It didn't yeah. work for me long-term either when I was doing keto and all of that. So sure. we were like, all right, one meal a day. Well, most people pick dinner. Yep. About 90, well, 93% somewhere in yeah, there. Yeah, we have some data. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. at dinner. It's easy, right? I get to eat with the family, et cetera. Sure. Another study where two groups of obese women were randomized to consuming an isocaloric meal, meaning equal calorie meal during breakfast or dinner, showed that the high-calorie breakfast had better fasting glucose, insulin sensitivity, and improved lipid profile compared to the high-calorie dinner consumers. Yeah. So recent studies have demonstrated that the timing of feeding in the general population is diverse, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. But more precision to looking at the poor feeding patterns and taking into account that we have the circadian sleep-wake cycle as well if we just simply were willing to vary our window more, we might be able to break through a plateau, regain some insight, see our blood sugar stabilize, and lose more weight. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> right? I know. It's, it's crazy. And, and this is something that we didn't really see back in the day because I always I, most of my meals were dinner in the beginning. Sure. Yeah, but then be. as I started to maintain or hit a plateau, I mean... A momentary maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. Where I was like, lost some weight and then stalled and then lost some weight and then stalled or gained a little back and then stalled, right? Yeah. I realized that what I was doing with OMAD dinner wasn't working. Even So just, that's why uh, we created the blueprint. Yeah. Uh, so even just breaking out of that mold of like dinner, OMAD dinner is very, very comfortable. 
and then going, yeah, okay. But like there was an example, I was just talking to my wife earlier today and she worked out, she worked out hard in the morning. Okay. And then, so it like, it was coming towards around lunchtime. Shout she out, had Jen. planned. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome work. So she had, she had planned to have, uh, have dinner. She had, she had planned to be fasting until dinner. And by the time lunchtime came around, she's like, I'm literally daydreaming about eating my own arm right now. So I think I'm going to break this fast. And, but what I, what I like about the takeaway from this study is that it's okay to have that larger lunch. You know, it's, it's closer, it's farther away from, the nighttime from the shutdown, repair, recovery time of our circadian rhythm, like have the bigger lunch and then maybe don't have the dinner or maybe if like she's at maintenance or yeah, basically she's at maintenance, depends on which day you ask her and and which part of the monthly cycle it is. But essentially she's at maintenance, but to break that up into like a, a larger lunch and a smaller dinner is a pretty good maintenance plan for her. It is. It works pretty well. But even too just that. Yeah, a too mad, but that yeah. permission, that permission to not hold off until the dinner, have the more satiating, nutritious lunch, and then maybe just the mini meal at dinner to kind of cap it off. Yeah, like, that's a really, really good plan. But it's almost like give myself permission to do that. Yeah. All right. One more, one more takeaway, kind of <laughs> thirty thousand foot from this study, and then a wrap up to what you just said there that lives inside of the blueprint to fasting for fat loss. Go to the show mm-hmm. notes, click the link. We'll zoom it into your inbox. It's a 20-page PDF. It gives you some other perspective on, on kind of how we ramp up into longer fasting windows. And we're not talking multiple day fasts. We're talking, you sure. know, 16, 18, up to you know, 48 hour fasts. And some of the the how-to, right? The tactical stuff. Mm-hmm. But the big picture here is that multiple studies show that TRF, where feeding has been restricted to the active time phase meaning like during our active, during the day, right? During our most active period of of the day Hmm. has significant metabolic benefits. It prevents obesity and improves glucose and lipid homeostasis. Yeah. Who doesn't want the cholesterol med conversation with their doctor? Right. No one does. And has been beneficial, never mind the effects of statins on blood sugar, and has been beneficial effects on other metabolic organs such as the liver, heart, and brown adipose tissue. Okay, so- Liver and heart, yeah, that's that's kind of important, right? When we're talking about metabolism right. and we're talking about cardiovascular health, yeah. Sure. These effects are accompanied with synchrony and more robust oscillation between the circadian effectors and metabolic regulator, metabolic regulators that are entrained to feeding fasting cycles. Yeah. They also say, however, this is still very much under-researched and not understood. So when somebody comes to us or we get a message, they say, hey, I started fasting, this is what I'm doing. What's the best fasting schedule? I'm like, yeah, uh, I don't have an answer for that. Right. When do you like to eat? When do you feel good? When do you work out? How's your sleep? It's almost like, what's the best, what's the best home? What's the best floor plan or the best right, car? Right, right, right. You know, what's, what's the, the best, best layout of your house, yeah. right? What's yeah. the best, what's you the know? Best book? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. So yeah. the cool thing is we give you four weeks of examples inside of that blueprint that mm. all fit into the time-restricted feeding protocol. Varied windows, or what we call fast cycling, where you're going to vary the days and the lengths of your fast. If you're only ever going to eat OMAD dinner, what happens on vacation? What happens at the wedding? What about Mother's Day brunch? Yeah. What do you just... I'm not allowed? (laughs) Huh? So you're constantly fighting that on-off to bring it full circle from where we started today, Tommy. 
you're constantly fighting that dieting on off good bad mindset. And when we take fasting and apply it as a lifestyle is where the freedom truly lives. That lifestyle begins when you are planning your next step, your next decision right now, even if you have 50 or 100 pounds to lose or you've lost a bunch already and you're hoping to maintain it, you want to maintain it. Either way, you got to internalize the idea that I'm going to be using some adaptation of time-restricted feeding and eating for long-term health maintenance and optimization, period. Even if I have zero pounds to lose. It starts now, it starts today, starts with a blueprint, it starts with your next fast and your execution of that fast. So rock on. Beginning with the end in mind, TRF, during which time of access of food is restricted to a few hours without caloric restriction supports robust metabolic cycles and protects against nutritional challenges that predispose to obesity and dysmetabolism. If we truly begin with the end in mind, this is our plan. This is our lifestyle adaptation. We are here with you on this journey, week in and week out. Head to the show notes, click the link, grab the blueprint. Let us know how we can help. Tommy, as always, appreciate the conversation, sir. We'll talk soon. Thank you. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life. 